This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. My name is Jessica Silby. I'm a professor here at Suffolk Law School, and I teach in the intellectual property concentration. And I'm doing this podcast primarily because I get a lot of questions from students as I teach intellectual property about possible careers when they graduate law school in the IP area. And there's a general misconception that you need to have a science background to have a career in intellectual property. And so I'm doing this podcast to tell people that anyone can be an IP lawyer, whether or not you have a background in science. And the reason for that is because many IP lawyers are transactional attorneys or litigators, and the only thing you need a science background for is to pass the patent bar. So the only reason you need a science background is if you're going to actually draft patents, that is, write patent claims that describe machines or biochemical compounds or any new invention that the patent office will be evaluating. Other than that, you can be an English major, a poli-sci major, as long as you have a law degree and you're interested in intellectual property. So let me tell you about some of the things that are possible to do with an IP background other than drafting patents, which I should say is a really exciting field. You meet lots of interesting inventors and scientists when you do that, and you're contributing to the innovative commerce in our nation. But that's only one very small aspect of IP legal practice. So you come to law school and you study copyrights, you study trademarks, you study trade secrets, you study patents. What do you do with that learning? Well, there are a lot of things you can do. First of all, you can join a law firm and be a litigator, which basically means that you're dealing with clients' conflicts surrounding intellectual property. That means somebody has a copyright that alleges is being infringed, or somebody has a trademark who is infringing. Somebody may want to license their trademark or their copyright to a larger entity to get a royalty stream, for example. And what you do as a litigator or as a transactional attorney is that you advise the clients as to the best possible strategy strategies to resolve that conflict or to further their business interests. Big firms or little firms need these kind of litigators and transactional attorneys. In big firms, copyright and trademark litigation is important practice. Copyright and trademark litigation can be very fun because it is very quick in the initial stages. You usually go in for a preliminary injunction, which means you're in a six-week time frame. You file the complaint, you have to answer, and you're in court. Usually within six to eight weeks, there's a lot of factual investigation that has to go on in those six to eight weeks to figure out what the IP is, whether it's valid, who's doing the infringing or not, whether there are any defenses. That's fun for a young litigator, in part because as a young litigator, you don't get to get into court very often. Cases take years and years to get to trial, even to dispositive motion stages. But a preliminary injunction, if that's the kind of motion that has been filed, which is usually the case in copyright and trademarks, you can get in there in very short order with your other colleagues, your senior colleagues. Other things that law firms do, big or small, with regard to intellectual property is they manage registrations. They conduct licensing deals, and they manage intellectual property portfolios. So if you're in the business side of a law firm, you might be working with software companies or biotech companies or even universities to make sure that everything's registered, everything's timely, everything's filed, and to build them or outlicense them to make sure you're getting the maximums from your IP portfolio. You could also be, if you're working in a law firm, advising larger clients how to best get IP out of their company. So if you are advising, for example, 
example, a university, and the university has a technology transfer office, you might be advising them on how to best talk to their professors and their staff members about when patentable inventions arise in the university setting and how to know it, how to collect it, how and when to draft patents based on them. So you could be educating your clients to make sure that they're getting the most out of their employees with regard to intellectual property. Big firms and little firms these days have intellectual property practices. It is no longer something that is left to boutique firms, although there are some boutique firms that is another option. Those are exciting practices as well. Here in New England, we have several very well-regarded IP boutique firms, some small only focusing, for example, on patent litigation and patent practice, some that are a little bit bigger and that span all four areas of intellectual property. I think other than California... And New York, Massachusetts probably has the most IP boutique firms that have national reputations. That's sometimes a nice alternative to the big firm career because it's a small focused firm or a smaller focused firm and it can feel a little bit more like a specialized practice with more expertise in the area. The other opportunity for intellectual property careers after law school, other than law firms, is to go in-house with companies. Now that sometimes happens right away depending on your connections. More often Often this happens after a couple years of working in a law firm. You've gotten more general experience and training from senior lawyers. But however it happens, in-house practice can be very satisfying for a number of reasons. First of all, you're working towards a focused goal. That is, if you're working for a software company, for example, you are a member of that software company team and you're all working towards the same product development, security strategies, whatever it is. As a lawyer in a law firm, you have lots and lots of different clients with lots of different allegiances. And that diversity can be exciting and fun, it tends not to be as focused as if you're working for an in-house company. So the various in-house companies that students from Suffolk University have gone into, for example, in the area up and down the East Coast, and in fact across the country, are software a lot of software companies here in New England. And in those cases, you're not only doing patents. I want to just reiterate, you're also working towards copyright, copywriting software, copywriting manuals, for example, medical device companies, alternative energy companies, search engine services, manufacturing companies. Several of my students in the past couple of years have gone on to marketing companies, that is, in-house for labeling and product packaging advisors and consultants. That is a growing field given internet commerce. There's, of course, a huge biotech industry here. Many, many pharmaceutical companies employ Suffolk grads either in their compliance group, IP compliance, that is working with FDA regulations and antitrust regulations and things like that, as well as working explicitly with capturing intellectual property in the pharmaceutical development, product development, that is with either trade secrets or with patents. And then there are lots of media companies. And increasingly, as I teach copyright and trademark, I have students who are very interested in trying to figure out how to break into, for example, the music industry or the film industry with regard to intellectual property. As music publishing and performing opportunities are international and it's easier to break in given the internet, more and more people need advice with regard to intellectual property. And so several of my students in the past couple of years have actually started their own law firms that are servicing almost uniquely a New England clientele base of young artists, young musicians who need licensing and copyright 
and trademark advice. Some of these students have then gone on to larger firms to represent bigger clients or bring their clients with them. But regardless, music and I should say the visual arts requires more and more work with, with intellectual property lawyers. For example, in clearing rights, if you're a visual artist, for example, and you're a collage artist, there's a great collage artist here in Massachusetts who does work putting together sports paraphernalia in sculptural form and poster form. And she needs to clear a lot of the trademark uh, and copyright in the underlying work that she puts together in order to make the derivative work that she is making. And so she uses um, a lawyer here in town to clear the rights, get permissions, or make assessments of fair use with regard to copyright and trademark. Documentary filmmakers, educational filmmakers, videographers, photographers, these days, more and more hiring lawyers, either independent lawyers or firm lawyers, to advise them on the intellectual property they are making and, frankly, that they are using. Massachusetts used to be the center of the publishing business. That is not the music and film publishing, but the print publishing, educational publishers, textbooks. That remains the case despite with New York, despite the fact that the print media industry is really struggling financially. What is happening in the different publishing houses is that they are undergoing sea changes with moving from print to digital, and that has occupied a lot of IP lawyers' time in figuring out both how to strategize from a business perspective and from an ongoing legal perspective with regard to IP. So how do you protect your digital print, digital textbook, for example, from being copied online by students? What kind of revenue stream is available if you go all digital? Why would you continue to work with hardback textbooks, for example, as an ongoing basis. These kind of business development changes use savvy IP lawyers on a regular basis to begin their new business models as well as to continue them in a profitable way. Despite the demise, or at least the hardship that many print publishing companies are undergoing, the lawyering is ongoing and continues to be quite necessary. There is another part of intellectual property practice that is underappreciated but is growing, and that is the nonprofit or public interest intellectual property career. And this kind of career is either through NGO, a non-governmental organization, or it can be working for the federal or state government in their intellectual property policy programs, or it can be on an individual lawyer basis. So let me talk about the first two. Generally speaking, for example, there are, I'd say, 10, 15 well-known organizations throughout the country that hire young lawyers who are interested in working on fair use issues in copyright and trademark, access to medicines, for example, in patent law, across different kinds of intellectual property. They are working on policy reform and taking undercapitalized clients who are either being sued or need to protect their rights in a court of law. So one such organization is Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts, which is a nationwide pro bono service to artists and writers, scientists and engineers even, who require legal help in managing mostly copyright trademark and trade secret kind of issues when they are otherwise unable to afford the assistance on their own. There are also nonprofit advocacy groups like Electronic Frontier Foundation called EFF, which is based in San Francisco, which is mostly a litigation house that takes cases that become high profile and that are often very expensive to take all the way to an adjudication, like the Shepard Ferry case, if people would remember 
remember that case with the Obama Hope poster. EFF had a piece of that. There's a very famous first sale doctrine case with regard to CD packaging that EFF is litigating, and you can find them under EFF.org if you're interested. Another nonprofit IP group is called Public Knowledge, which is a D.C.-based organization working to protect internet transparency and network neutrality. They take interns, they take recent graduates, they've taken students from Suffolk as well as other neighboring law schools to work with them to facilitate open internet policies, to recommend them to Congress and to various state legislators, and to identify groups of people who need IP legal assistance who might otherwise be unable to receive it. There's this growing body of public service area work in intellectual property law that I think many students overlook when they're considering careers in intellectual property. And finally, I might mention that there's a lot of government work out there in IP. Whether you're working at the state level or federal level trying to protect and grow revenue from government-owned intellectual property, or you're trying to open access to that government-owned intellectual property, be it a patent. States own patents, like Florida famously owns several patents that it made millions of dollars on. States own patents, state owned copyrights, and they can assert their rights and collect revenue often, or they can not necessarily donate them to the public domain, but maintain the intellectual property, but make it accessible to all of its citizens. There are privacy issues that are associated with government-owned intellectual property and just privacy issues generally that relate to intellectual property law. So trade secret law, cyber law, and cybersecurity are issues that IP lawyers deal with regularly when they work for the government. Then there are the libraries and schools, which are subject to IP regulation and need to be advised by lawyers in the state and federal government. And then there's the litigation that goes on on behalf of the state. Either the state is an infringer or the government potentially is an infringer, or they are the property owners and they are asserting rights under the intellectual property statutes. U.S. attorneys are regularly working in courts and as investigators to manage and to maintain intellectual property law on behalf of the government. This can concern antitrust issues, as I said, cyber piracy or other cyber crimes. The Google Book Search is an excellent example of where government lawyers got involved at the very beginning trying to assess the anti-competitive aspects of the Google Book settlement on behalf of the public interest. So all of these firm jobs as a litigator in all aspects of intellectual property and transactions, in-house jobs working with trademarks and copyrights and licensing portfolios in almost all aspects of industry here in New England and across the country. As I said, technology, manufacturing, product labeling, media companies, etc. And then there's the nonprofit sector that I think, as I said, is often overlooked but growing and can be a very, very satisfying career in intellectual property. So I'm happy to answer any questions people might have. I can be found on the Suffolk University Law School website under my last name, Silby, and email is welcome, jsilby at suffolk.edu. I look forward to speaking with you. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.